our guest on the very last episode of Soundtracking of the Decade is Greta Gerwig, returning to the show to discuss her second outing as a writer-director with Little Women. It's the eighth film adaptation of Louisa May Alcott's classic 1868 novel and boasts a staggering cast, including Saoirse Ronan, Emma Watson, Florence Pugh, Timothy Chalamet and Meryl Streep, to name but a few. The score, meanwhile, was provided by Alexandre Desplat and we will, of course, sprinkle plenty of his music throughout the conversation. Before that, I want to tell you about delayed gratification, which I think is perfect for those who find the news pretty stressful and overwhelming, as it feels like at the moment. Delayed Gratification is the first slow journalism magazine which helps readers make sense, really, of an increasingly crazy world. Since 2011, it has returned to major news stories after the dust has settled to tell the whole story with context and perspective instead of knee-jerk reactions and sensationalism. Delayed Gratification was launched as an antidote to today's ultra-fast news cycle where it's seemingly more important to be first than to be accurate. In a world where fake news and propaganda is on the rise, it's balanced, it's independent, reflective and honest. Delayed Gratification is proud to be last to break news. It's a quarterly publication filled with insightful long-form journalism, beautiful photo features and stunning infographics. Among the very latest highlights are a fold-out Beatles infographic, Fran Leibovitz remembering her friend Toni Morrison and, appropriately enough, the movie Matrix, which rates every film by commercial versus critical success. Now, a subscription to Delayed Gratification makes a great present and a year's worth of slow journalism starts at just £36. What's more, we have a very special offer for listeners to our Weed podcast. Subscribe now and they'll throw in a copy of the current issue for free. Simply go to slow-journalism.com, click on the subscribe button and enter the code SOUNDTRACKING in the promo code box. So that's slow dash journalism.com using the promo code soundtracking. And so to Greta's second sitting after she joined me back in episode 78 to discuss her directorial debut Ladybird. We'll begin this episode with one of Alexandra Desplazque's from her latest movie entitled It's Romance. Greta, yes. welcome 
back to Soundtrack and we were lucky enough to have you on for Ladybird and I, I'm thrilled to say that you are our first returning female director. Am I really? Yeah. Oh my God, that makes me so honoured. It makes me so happy that it's you. Oh. Yeah. Well, that's good. <laughs> that's a sign. That's a yes. good sign. Um, yes. Congratulations on Little Women. Oh, it's, thank you. It's brilliant. It's so, the tone of it is spot on. Um, I wanted to ask if that was easy because obviously there's loads of things mm. within the book that are that jump out at you lines specific yeah. lines but when a book book means so much to you in terms of interpreting that but yeah. making your mark on it which you very much have was that an easy thing to do? Well, I, I, when I when I when I read the book as an the adult, as an adult and I, I I all these things sort of came out at me in a rush that seemed important to make a film about about women, money, ambition, and art. I just started collecting these lines that I felt like leapt off the page and and they were lines like um, the world is hard on ambitious girls which is an Amy line I want to be great or nothing also an Amy line Marmy saying I want to be uh, I, I'm angry almost every single day of my life um, these lines seem to me to be spikier than I had remembered mm-hmm. I, I mean even Marmy saying I'm angry almost every sing- single day of my life I thought Wait, Marmy's been angry this whole time? <laughs> it's like, I don't remember Marmy being angry. And I was like, oh my God, she's been angry for 150 years and no one's noticed. What a terrible thing. Um, Someone help her. But I thought, for me, uh, in some ways I wanted to deliver on the pleasures of Little Women uh, that we collectively share of, uh, you know, Christmas and uh, being all together and the letter from Father and gathered around the fire. And then I also want to, I wanted to subvert it and I wanted to create a, an ache there, something that was, um, sad mm-hmm. and something that was, um, you know, it was joyful, but then it was also painful because it's gone. Yeah. And I think that that w- was a way to honestly not have it go to saccharine. Which it's not in the text. There's a lot that isn't, but if, if you just sort of take the texts, tidiness at face value it can have that quality yeah but if you strip away the like the the part where it's suddenly like lessons learned um what you find is something much uh, much stranger i've always known i would marry rich why should i be ashamed of that there's nothing to be ashamed of as long as you love him well i believe we have some power over who we love it isn't something that just happens to a person i think the poets might disagree well i'm not a poet i'm just a woman And as a woman, there's no way for me to make my own money. Not enough to earn a living or to support my family. And if I had my own money, which I don't, that money would belong to my husband the moment we got married. And if we had children, they would be his, not mine. They would be his property. So don't sit there and tell me that marriage isn't an economic proposition because it is. May not be for you, but it most certainly is for me. I think as well. There's a beautiful kind of music and rhythm in your in your writing as well. And I Thank wondered you. whether, when you were writing it, you you listened to music or you had music around. Oh God, when you, you know, were writing the script. Um, you know, I actually used to listen to music while I wrote, and then I read an interview by um uh, one of my favorites. Well, novelist, but also short story writer. He does both. George Saunders. He um, he wrote Lincoln and the Bardo, and he also wrote this group of short stories called The Tenth of December. And he said he used to write to music, and then um, he realized it was just a way 
that he was fooling himself into thinking his fiction was better than it is because he like if he was listening to something upbeat he'd like think what he was writing he'd be like yeah I'm really cooking now this is really good and then he'd read it later and he'd be like no I was just listening to the music and I, I, I unfortunately find that to be true sometimes I'll listen to I'll listen to sort of like white noise machines like um like some sort of uh, like nature sounds <laughs> yeah. um, which is always sort of surreal but uh, yeah, because I hear the music of the language so specifically, yeah. I often find that um, to really tap into it, I need to not be listening to music. Yeah, yeah, I get the nature thing definitely. Yeah, particularly with the surroundings. Yes, of, yes, of, yes. Of where they are and all that. Kind yeah, of stuff. no, I, um, but it is kind of it feels sort of silly to listen to fake nature. <laughs> but, <laughs> Some birds today, I mean, should we? <laughs> I know, maybe I should go to real nature, but I'm like sitting in New York City listening to fake nature. It's sad, but it's just true. Hey, it worked. Yeah, it, yeah. I mean, you know, it's, you do what you got to do. Um, but the, the interesting thing as well, which I think a lot of people will do, is that for people who haven't read this book, this film is going to make them read the book go back and read it yeah i think it will make people go read the yeah. book which is which is very exciting yeah. to me because i think the book is one of the classics of american literature and it's um it's canon and yet somehow it always gets treated as a bit uh, it's a bit like like a girl book yeah. it's never quite seen in the same breath as like as a moby dick or you know steinbeck or no yeah even though it is yeah absolutely it's kind of it's not disregarded but it's kind of um, taken for granted, I think, definitely, in terms right. of, of, of what it's trying to say within its its narrative. That's right. The films um, that have gone prior to this as well, did you watch them at all? Well, I watched them when I was growing up, yeah. but I didn't watch them as I prepared this movie because I wanted, uh, well, first of all, the text, both of the book and of other, of Louisa May Alcott's writings, her mm -hmm. letters and journals and other stories and novels she yeah. wrote th that's what I wanted to take as the group source material for how I was going to write this mm -hmm. and then I wanted the other films to exist for me the way they largely exist for other people which is kind of in a vague memory yeah. I have a vague memory of yeah. what they all are and I think that was actually useful to yeah. me because the fact that it wasn't drilled down for me was that so when I'm trying to deliver on what what it is that little women is and our collective memory of it that i that i have a sense of from memory what are the scenes that can't be yeah left out yeah which is both from the book and from the other movies and i think as well the thing when you look back on those other films though what i think you've done brilliantly with this and they also did was had extraordinary composers attached to it oh yeah that's um, true some i mean some adolf deutsch and thomas newman and max mm. steiner you know yeah. people who've worked across things like casablanca and mm -hmm. some like all that kind of stuff and mr Desplat, who you've who you went with on this film oh my god his score is extraordinary on this film it is it's um i knew it was going to be a huge score when i was going in to the film i knew that i i, I, I think i described it to him as a musical without singing and then he Absolutely. said and then he said it's a ballet? <laughs> and I said, <laughs> yes, it's a ballet. Um, but yeah, I, I knew it was going to be a lot of music and I knew it was going to be a big part of storytelling, really. Yeah. And um, he sent me some sketches before we started shooting on the piano. And um, so I had those that I was able to listen to as I was setting shots. Thank you. 
it really wasn't until after we were done not only shooting, but cutting the whole movie without any music, which was terrifying. Was it? He doesn't like to, to score with temp music, does he? No, he he does not. So <laughs> we did not do that. Um, he, he watched the movie dry with nothing, wow. which was um, just it's like standing in front of the class with no clothes on. You're sort of like, oh, my God. But... Um, it, it was a, it was a great exercise for me for a few reasons. The first being, um, it just made me know that the movie had integrity in 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 its cuts, yeah. Separate from uh, music, which mm-hmm. can really pull everything together. And um, yeah, in a way, it makes you not take any shortcuts. Yeah. What? Well, why was he the right man for the job? Why oh, because he's he's not afraid of melody. Mm-hmm. Um, he has something epic in him um that is also intimate and that that sort of epic and intimate at the same time was what i wanted to explore all of my collaborators really because I'm a big believer that everything is everything in movies you the way you do one thing is how you do them all um and that sort of epic intimacy and radical modernism he that that was what it was
because it's it's not a period score in any way shape or form and the great thing about listening to it as just a piece of art in itself without mm. watching the film is that it works beautifully as an album listening from start to finish but there are so many different shades and light within it as well yes in terms of I mean I've, I've kind of pulled out a couple in particular that mm. I just thought I mean I think one of my favourite is Laurie and Joe on the hill oh god, oh god it's god. so beautiful it's so beautiful oh. I know oh I was actually very pleased um, he works with his wife she's a she produces his work Sol Ray oh, wow. and um, she's extraordinary she's a musician and she's a She's she's works alongside him and um, I was so pleased I saw her in Paris and she said to me after seeing the movie she was like she said she said, I'm so glad you're not scared of um, putting the score forward uh, meaning you know sometimes people bury the score more mm-hmm. and um, she's like you really put it hot in the mix and I was like oh yes I wanted it right up front <laughs> like also I have 90 minutes of music from Alexandre. I of course I'm gonna mix it hot. <laughs> That's a great way of describing yeah. it. I like that a lot. Um, but that is just one of the most beautiful pieces of of score. Mm, thank um, you. It's a classic piece of score. I think it's just yeah. yeah. Conversations that you had, with, I know you, t- you talked about it being a kind of the idea of it, you know, the Bali whole thing. But with specific characters, did you talk much about their their sort of melody or their musicality? Yeah, well, it was about um, the it was about the music and the and the sort of feeling for each character, but then also characters through time. So um, I think one of the first pieces he delivered was um, there's a this group beach scene where all of them are at the beach and it's the height of yeah. magical childhood. And then it cuts to 10 years later, essentially, on the beach again, but it's just Joe and Beth. And you hear the, the outline of what you had heard in its fullness before. Mm-hmm. And it was that connection between what was it in childhood and what is it in adulthood and did it happen that way or did you write it down that way is what what is what we're seeing and hearing um an exaggeration of how wonderful it was or was it that wonderful and i think alexandre in addition to catch capturing character could capture that interplay of time Mm -hmm. that's amazing yeah it was it was something
and tension in the ice skating piece as well. Oh yes, yes, fun. yes. He he. Um, that was <laughs> that was wonderful. I. <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, I, I, some of those things too. And one of the wonderful things about adaptation is that um, it forces you to be bigger than yourself. Like, I don't know that I could have written someone and directed someone like falling through the ice and without. Okay, it's like I have to do that. That's I have to do this. So I have to figure out how to do it, and in a way that feels sincere and right to me. Yeah. Is, is is brilliant I think she's just the, the way she's brought that character and, and Eliza as well oh god I love both of them yeah and and with Eliza music obviously as well being mm-hmm. a big part of her character and the kind of what's the right diegetic music so yes that's, within that's right the, diegetic I say that sometimes and people are like what are you the ones people just play and I was like that's right diegetic um, I've got a fancy word for I it I know <laughs> yeah no she she when she auditioned she I asked her I asked her if she played piano and she said she'd done it since she was a little girl um, and she's actually quite a good pianist like oh, that is wow. one of the things she does and she so she kind of went back to um, practicing uh, more because you know as high school goes on you, know, she, you kind of let some things fall off <laughs> so um, but the Kinderszen which is one of the pieces she plays um, on the Lawrence piano that was her suggestion um, oh, wow uh, speaking of collaborating and letting yeah. people bring stuff Thank you. 
And I, I wanted it to be, you know, I wanted her to play Bach and Schumann. I didn't want her to only play sad hymns in the corner. I wanted the character of Beth to be just as ambitious as the rest of them. I didn't want her to be someone who was marked for death or, mm-hmm. you know, not part of the world. Yeah. I, I wanted her to have loved it as much. She made a mark. Yes. Through that music. That's right. Everyone that was around her. That's right. Yeah, a really lasting impression. Yeah, mm-hmm. she's so great. So I mean, I I don't think I'd ever seen her in anything before. She was she in this really... HBO show called um, Sharp Objects. That's how I saw her oh, first okay. with Amy Adams. And when I saw that, I, I just loved her. I just fell in love with her. Mm. Yeah, she's just wildly talented, and she's got the most um one of the most photogenic faces. In a funny way, it's not unlike Sersha. She actually literally needs fewer lights. Some people have just a look. Where it just feels like they are lit from within. <laughs> yeah, I loved. I heard you talking. Uh, did an interview with. There was a whole gang of you, and you were talking about. Oh no, it was just you and Timothy, and you were talking about how either it was you or Amy had said that no one was as beautiful on screen. It's so Timothy, it's, yeah, it's, it's since Elizabeth Taylor. Yeah, Timothy, that. Timothy, and Elizabeth Taylor. Like really, if you look at pictures of young Elizabeth Taylor, it's a spitting image of Timmy. <laughs> I love that. There's this brilliant. Um, David Bowie thread that's oh, one yes, through things. Yeah, so yeah. I was just chatting to Noah last week and mm. it gave us a great excuse to play Modern Love oh, and yeah. relive that beautiful, yeah. beautiful scene. Mm. Um, and I believe that there was a weird sort of synergy with you and Sarsha with a Bowie track. Yeah, you know, uh, Moon Age Daydream yeah. was what we were playing while Sarsha was looking at her book being printed. And um, it was the song that she wanted me to play over and over again. I, I had like uh, several songs lined up to play for her, um, but that was the one that she picked. And it was weird because it was also the one that I would listen to over and over when I was like 19 and I was in college and I, I don't know, there was something about it. It was, it was, an ambi- it was a big ambitious song it was kind of crazy like I'm an alligator I'm a mom and papa coming for you <laughs> and then like uh, and then like just keep your electric eye on me babe like I don't know there was yeah. something about it like and then I think it was at the beginning of the I mean not the beginning of the internet but the internet was just starting and the idea of film and electric eye like I there was something I I was that was always sort of my song of that time. And then when she picked it, it, it was, this is something, something going on there. And <laughs> yeah. then, yeah, no one I had used modern love and, um, I never met David Bowie. I, I only loved him, but I never met him. I know he, he was in New York and, um, but he, he really, uh, he gave us so much beautiful music. It's lovely to think someone's spirit is still within the things that you're making. I know. There are. It's great. Definitely. I also think uh, musicians, when they go, like, there's something, I don't know, there's just something very pure about, like, the, the, the thing you gave us was your songs. And, and I feel like when musicians go, that thing of, like, you put on their albums and you, like, get all their records out and you play them off the earth you yeah, know you're yeah. like thanks for these yeah I do it with Jeff Buckley like still yeah, all the time yeah. like pine for him it's yeah. just weird like, and also <laughs> just like Godspeed on your next journey space man like I don't know where you're going like but I'm sure it's somewhere yeah it's been a treat chatting to you oh, again oh thank you and thanks so much for taking the time to chat to us again and congratulations thank you thanks Greg thank, thank you. you I'm an alligator Coming for you I'm a space invader I'll be a rock and rollin' bitch for you Keep your
Moonage Daydream by David Bowie, a song much loved by Sir Ronan and Greta Gerwig, grounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with the Little Women writer director. My huge thanks to Greta for taking the time to talk to us for a second time. Little Women is on general release now and is quite fantastic with Alexandra's score released by Sony Entertainment Music. Head to edithbowman.com to listen to my last chat with Greta and to subscribe to this podcast, though your preferred provider will also work just as well. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK and please do keep spreading the word on your socials if you like what you hear. It means the world to us. Um, before I tell you about our next episode, I would just like to say a huge thank you for all your support this year. It's been quite an extraordinary journey uh, on Soundtrack in this year and we can't thank you enough for your support. I hope you had a great Christmas and I wish you a very, very happy new year as we look forward to starting 2020 with not one, but two guests. Next up on Soundtrack, and we thought we'd give you something to encourage you to head along to the cinema, but then also to encourage you to check out something quite small and independent at home. First up, we have the fantastic Taika Watiti talking about his latest film, Jojo Rabbit, followed by the brilliant Scottish director, Brian Welsh, who released a beautiful and brilliant little film last year called Beats. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. (laughs) 